who've taken part and can I add to the welcome that John gave to you, especially those who are visiting with us this evening. If there had been trains 2,000 years ago and they hadn't been on strike, the two men would have purchased one-way tickets for they had no plans to return, at least not in the near future. They certainly wouldn't have bought day return tickets for it was already late afternoon when they set out on their journey from the city of Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles away, or in Roman measurements, 60 stadia, circuits of a stadium. As there were no trains, buses, bicycles, or even donkeys or camels, they did what human beings have always done, and some of us still do. They walked. What was remarkable in a remarkable day of the most remarkable events in human history, was that later that same evening, they were found heading back in the opposite direction, at a different speed and with a totally different perspective in life. Though they had not planned it, their journey in fact turned out to be a day return trip. And what changed their plans and their lives is described in the Bible in one of the Gospels, one written by a man called Luke. If you want to turn in the Bibles, you'll find it in Luke 24. We're going to read from verse 13. It's page 1061. There are Bibles in the pews. You can get one and turn to it, or you may want to listen to me just read the story. Luke 24, verse 13 page 1061. Now that same day, that's the first Easter Sunday, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is God's word. The two men were so absorbed in their conversation that they didn't notice the quiet approach of the fellow traveller who came alongside them on their journey until he broke in on their animated conversation. What are you discussing together as you walk along, he asked. The words are very telling. They stood still, their faces downcast. Was it possible that this stranger was totally unaware of the events that were the topic of every conversation in Jerusalem and throughout Israel? What things, he asked. And so the story came tumbling out. A story centered on one, Jesus of Nazareth. A story of hopes raised to the heights of expectation, only to be dashed to the depths of devastation in a public execution on a cross. Even today, wild rumors of visions of angels, an empty tomb, and a dead man supposedly raised to life had further confused him. And so they were heading home, out of Jerusalem, back to Emmaus, still trying to make sense of what it all meant. Overwhelmed by despair, no wonder when the stranger asked this question, we read, they stood still, their faces downcast, walking away from the past in confusion, in despair. Maybe you've stood where they stood and felt what they felt on the journey that we call life. Maybe that's where you are today. And maybe today is a day to pause, to stand still, to reflect, to ask questions, to seek answers. Maybe you're confused by the events that have happened in your life. Maybe saddened by the dashing of all that you've pinned your hopes on. And maybe like these two men, devastated by death itself. Especially the unexpected death of someone you love. Someone maybe on whom you've pinned your hopes for the future. And so you're walking away from it all, trying to make sense of it all. And though the two men in our story did not realize it, the man who joined them on the journey had the answers they were seeking. And he was in fact the person they were seeking. And the outcome would be that their lives would be totally turned around. A few hours later, they would be heading in the opposite direction on the day return trip they had never planned or imagined. And I simply want to say, as you've heard in these stories this evening as well, that such an outcome, such a turnaround in the life of any individual is possible for each one of us. The key lies in two things which we see in this story, two essentials. First of all, open minds, understanding why Jesus died. Secondly, open eyes, experiencing who Jesus is. 
Look with me just in a little detail about these two things. First of all, open minds, understanding why Jesus died. These two men were devastated and confused because of the death of Jesus. The death of any person we love is devastating and confusing. But the death of Jesus had added elements which made it even more devastating and confusing for these two men. The timing of his death at the age of 33 seemed tragically premature. The manner of his death, a public execution by crucifixion, seemed a travesty of justice. Yet these were not the real reason why these men were so devastated. There was one added factor which made the death of Jesus such a traumatic event for these two men. You see, they were Jews. And for centuries, long centuries, the people of Israel had been waiting for the one God had promised through the prophets. They called him in Hebrew, Mashiach, the Messiah. In Greek, Christ. The one who would save them from their enemies, bringing God's kingdom on earth. Every Jew that was born prayed and longed to be alive on the day when the Messiah came. And these two men, along with many others in Israel, had become convinced that this long-awaited Saviour had arrived in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. For his amazing teaching and his astounding miracles seemed to fulfill all the credentials of the Messiah. People said, we have never seen anything like this. They said, we have never heard anything like this. Jesus of Nazareth, surely he was the Messiah. His miracles, his teaching said that it was so. So they'd been convinced that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem or rescue the people of Israel. But then just a few days ago, Jesus had been seized by none other than their own religious leaders, handed over to the occupying Roman authorities on trumped-up charges for sentence and execution. There was no last-minute reprieve. Everyone had seen the nails driven into his ankles and his wrists, had seen the cross raised high, had seen a soldier thrust a spear into his side and blood and water pour out, had seen the lifeless body brought down from a tomb, down from the cross and laid in a borrowed tomb, had seen a huge stone rolled against the entrance to prevent any act of grave robbing. But we had hoped, they tell the stranger, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, had hoped, but now their hopes were dashed by death. And they could not be resurrected by rumours of angels and empty tombs spread by some women. You will never understand the Christian faith until you understand the cross of Jesus and why he died. Was it, as these two men were thinking, a terrible tragedy? Or at best, as others say, simply an example of how to die nobly in the face of injustice. These two travellers on the road to Emmaus needed to understand why Jesus died. Their minds needed to be opened. You see, we are made in the image of God with the capacity to think. Maybe some of us have switched off at this point, but I'm trying to get you to think with me. God has given us minds to think. God speaks to us through our minds. And it is this problem which the stranger addresses when he says, how foolish you are, how slow not to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
And so he goes on to explain that rather than the death of Jesus being an unforeseen tragedy or even the triumph of evil over good, it was in fact all part of God's plan. The Messiah must suffer and die. And while human beings were responsible, they did it. God was sovereign, he planned it. And this was a plan that God had put in place centuries before. God had said this would happen, he said, through Moses and the prophets. When he says Moses there, he means the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, that are attributed to the authorship of Moses. And the prophets are the many men through whom God spoke, and women as well, in days of old, and told what would happen in the future, also contained in the Hebrew Bible. So God's plan that culminated in the death of Jesus was in fact a plan that stretched right back. In fact, it stretched right back to that day when our first parents turned their backs on God and rebelled against him. And God in mercy promised that one born of the woman would triumph over evil and the evil one. You can find that in Genesis 3, verse 15. And the prophets who foretold the coming of the Messiah spoke not just of his triumph, but also of his suffering as the ultimate sacrifice the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament given through the law of Moses, sacrifices for sin, were just a pale picture of what God would one day do through his own servant who would suffer and die so that we might be forgiven and restored to a relationship with God for which we were made. It must have been an amazing experience walking and listening to this man explaining the scriptures to them as they walked along the road. Sometimes journeys seem very long, don't they, when they're boring. But I'm sure this one, the time just passed in no time. And as the stranger talked, the minds of these two men were opened and they began to understand why Jesus had died. That rather than it being an accident, it was part of God's rescue plan for human beings. Now I want to ask you this evening, do you understand why Jesus died and why he had to die? Some of our great Easter hymns bring out this point. You know that lovely hymn, There is a Green Hill Far Away outside a city wall, where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. He did what we could never do to bring us back to God. So the minds of these two men were opened as the stranger talked with them and explained why the Christ had to suffer. But that was not all he explained. For the suffering of Christ was not the end of the story or the end of God's plan. He also explained to them the Messiah must first suffer and die and then enter his glory. And although their minds are open, they now understand why Christ had to die, they are still unaware of the fact that he's no longer dead, that in fact he's the very one walking along with them. So notice there in our second need, Open eyes, experiencing who Jesus is. The sun is beginning to set as they arrive at their destination, the little village of Emmaus. And the stranger acts as though he's going to go on further down the road. But they urge him to stay with them and share a meal with them. The typical Eastern hospitality is accepted. And they sit down to eat. The stranger takes the bread, gives thanks to God, and hands it to them. 
And at that moment we read, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Perhaps memories were triggered of that day when he took bread and fed a multitude of 5,000 and more people. But the real reason why they recognized Jesus, notice what it says, their eyes were opened. Just as at the beginning of the encounter it says they were prevented from recognizing Jesus, verse 16, now God opens their eyes to reveal to them the identity of the one who has walked and talked and now breaks bread with them. Their eyes are open. They recognize that Jesus is alive. It is that moment of illumination, that moment of revelation, when they realize Jesus is not dead, but has risen from the dead. It is not just being convinced of the facts about Jesus. It is not even saying, wow, the Old Testament is an amazing book that Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies down to the last detail. That's important, yes? But it is a personal encounter with the risen Christ. In what we understand with our minds becomes a reality in our experience. It's very hard to explain, isn't it, an experience? We say in Derbyshire, where I come from, it's better felt than telt. It is a personal encounter. God makes it clear. I've been a pastor for quite a number of years now. It's a quite a strange thing. You can speak to people and see people who aren't Christians. They come week after week after week. And you know the penny's just not dropped. And no matter how uneloquent I am, even more uneloquent than normal, they still don't get it. And then this wonderful thing, sometimes someone comes and says, I've seen it. I, I can understand it. I've seen it. And it's become a reality to them. Now, it is not my power of persuasion. It is that God the Holy Spirit shows you who Jesus is. And you have a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. It's lovely what they say. They said, did not our hearts burn within us as he walked and talked with us? It is that heartwarming experience that touches the emotions and touches you at the deepest level. And no wonder they immediately get up and say, and they rush back the way they've gone. Back to Jerusalem to tell their fellow followers of Jesus what has happened to them and discover that their experience is not unique but shared by others who have also encountered the risen Christ. A change in direction shared with others. No longer do they stand still with their faces downcast. They are now running in the opposite direction. Their lives have been completely turned around. So a second question. Not only has your mind been opened to understand why Jesus died, have your eyes been opened to see who Jesus is? Do you know that he's alive? Do you know the presence of the risen Christ in your own life through the Holy Spirit living within you? So, what was planned as a one-way journey turned out to be a day return trip. A journey that started in despair ends in incredible joy. The lives of two men take on a completely different direction. And what made the difference was that their minds and their eyes were opened. And down through the centuries, that has been the experience of countless people from all sorts of backgrounds and nations, people like those being baptized today. The only thing these four people have in common, other than having two legs and two arms and a head, is that they have had an experience of Jesus Christ. If you got to know some of these people in this church, we're, we're a very mixed multitude. In fact, you probably wouldn't find a group of people like this anywhere else, because the only thing they have in common, really, is that they had experience of the risen Lord Jesus Christ that unites us together as Doug said it makes us a family of brothers and sisters <laughs> what a wonderful thing it is 
And I simply want to say to you today, because that's why we're here, that's why I'm a pastor, that's the greatest joy of all, this can be your experience too. Your life, you could have walked in here at half past six and you could go out of here at, well, eight o'clock probably, a little bit after, just after eight, I'm nearly finished. And you could go out from here a different person having met with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how by pointing out one final feature of the story. When the two men arrived that late evening as the sun is setting at their destination, they do something. They invite the stranger in. It looks as though he's going to go on. I wonder what would have happened if he'd gone on. I wonder what would have happened if he'd refused the invitation. But they say, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And the stranger comes in with them. The older King James Version of the Bible translates it this way. Abide with us, for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. Abide with us. The day is far spent. 150 years ago, a minister in Devon was in the last weeks of his life. His name was Henry Light. And in the final weeks of his life, he read this passage, Abide with us, and he wrote a hymn. Most of you have heard it, probably even if you don't go to church, because it's sung at cup finals, in England anyway, and at funerals. I'm always sad when people only sing it at funerals. Because you can only sing it at the funeral and it have any hope and meaning if you've experienced what it says beforehand as this minister had. So I've nearly finished. This is the end. I want to read the verses to you. And maybe you've never thought about them. Maybe, I don't know, you've been on the crowds and sung, Abide with me. Past falls even there. You've never thought about what it really means. So uh, the words will come on the screen. And you just sit quietly and, and maybe you want to make this a prayer before your funeral, please. All right? All right, here's the words of Henry Francis Lightson. Listen carefully and think about what it says. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. Whenever helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine, O abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory, I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. Amen.